Sam Randazzo takes a blow from the Ohio Supreme Court. It's the first story we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Courtney Astolfi. Let's roll. The Ohio Supreme Court did deal a blow to Sam Randazzo, a blow involving his role with First Energy and the big bribery case against him. Lisa, what was it? Yeah, the state's highest court ruled unanimously this week that Sam Randazzo's assets will remain frozen by the attorney general. This overrules a lower appellate court ruling that reversed the original freeze order by a common pleas judge. They said it was decided on an improper basis, but the Supreme Court did not agree with that. Randazzo's attorneys say the state ignored protections against asset seizure before a defendant is found guilty. Yost, uh, the attorney general, says there there was a risk of offloading assets. That's why he froze the money in the first place. He said, you know, there was a half million dollar house transferred to his son for zero dollars. There was a two million dollar sale of two Florida properties that Randazzo owned and the eight hundred thousand dollar sale of two Ohio properties. As we know, Randazzo is in fa- facing an 11 count federal indictment. There's no trial date been set yet, but he is named or implicated in at least one civil suit brought by the state of Ohio that's still going on. He's also implicated in several investor civil lawsuits. Look, I give Dave Yost a lot of credit for doing something when it appeared nobody else was. The evidence was there that Rendazzo was crooked as could be, and yet no indictments came, and he was moving to offload assets. There were actions he was taking that would have left us with nothing to go after Mm -hmm. if he were convicted. Yost, when no one else was doing a thing, stepped up and said, no, 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 no. We're going to put those assets in a place where we can be sure to get them if you're convicted. I was blown away that there was any argument about about this. The Ohio Supreme Court did the right thing here. Randazzo, the, the evidence is just overwhelming against him. It took forever to get the indictment. Yeah, and he had the the means to hide assets or even be a flight risk. I, I thought they might have mentioned that he was a flight risk. I don't remember. But a uh, spokesman for Yost's office, Bethany McCorkle, says that he's glad the court won't allow Rondazzo to spend his bribery proceeds and be judgment-proof. Well, here's my question for Dave Yost, though, because the guys running First Energy haven't been indicted, even though the company itself has pleaded guilty to being involved in the bribery why isn't Dave Yost freezing the executives' assets? He's just doing the public officials. Seems like the executives always get away with it. You From are your this... lips to his ears. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, come on. How... It's a double standard, right? I mean, those guys are multimillionaires, I'm sure. And, and clearly, there's a day of reckoning coming for them. You would hope anyway. They funded this whole thing. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked with Mike DeWine Tuesday on a number of topics, which are becoming stories this week. One is the governor's take on how Ohio should deal with Kia and Hyundai. After all the thefts involving their models, Courtney, what does he say Ohio should do? Yeah, well, DeWine told us that he wants to see Ohioans who have had their Kias and Hyundais stolen in recent years get some kind of compensation from the automakers. And you know, how that would happen is kind of the question here. DeWine told us he hasn't spoken to the Attorney General, Dave Yost, about this yet, but DeWine told us he may start talking to Yost about this. Here's the rub, though. Yost, when we reached out to his office, 
basically is saying that the state doesn't have legal grounds to make DeWine's wishes come to fruition. You know, cities we've seen have filed suit against the automakers for the losses they've sustained related to all the police time that have 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 had to go to investigating these thefts, impound fees. There's a bunch of costs the cities have borne that they're seeking to get back from the automakers. And when we talked to Yost about the state, you know, going after the automakers, he said the state doesn't have costs like the cities do that they could seek to recoup here. <laughs> look, go back and look at what Yost said about the opioid lawsuits. He was trying to represent all the cities there and He's not even right. The state did last year send in the highway patrol to clamp down on all the lawlessness in Cleveland because of those Kia and Hyundai thefts. The state is out money. I mean, DeWine talked about that yesterday. He's proud of the fact that he did send people in when asked. And it, we know because we cover it, it did temper that lawlessness a good bit in the second half of the year. I don't know why Yost won't go after these guys. He goes after all sorts of other things. And the direct parallel is opioids. I mean, the state did lose money, but he was trying to represent everybody in that to parcel out the money to the counties and the cities that lost money. There's there's must be a reason he won't take these guys on. They have caused huge losses for Cleveland and other places. The police have had to spend a ton of time on these car thefts because of their ridiculously flimsy security systems. You know, that's a great point of all the state resources that were poured into just specifically Cleveland last summer around this issue and related to this issue. You know, reporter Jeremy Pelzer kind of notes in his story, though, that states aren't taking the lead on this. So no state has gone after the car makers in the way that we've seen lots of cities do it. So I'm curious why that trend has played out around the nation like that. States haven't stepped up here. It's not just Ohio. Is is it big business? They don't want to take. I don't I don't get it. It seems like it's a no brainer. Clearly, this has cost millions and millions of dollars. This it's ridiculous. I can't believe Kia and Hyundai just for brand needs hasn't done something to fix this problem. And it continues. We talked a couple weeks ago about our own crime reporter having her Kia stolen because if you sneeze, you can take those cars for a joyride. You're listening to Today in Ohio. DeWine also had some early thoughts, not yet a complete plan, for the problem that has arisen for transgender candidates seeking their spot on the Ohio ballot. This came on the same day where a candidate was successful in getting on the ballot. Laura, what did DeWine say? He said it's a problem and it should be fixed. He doesn't know exactly how it should be fixed, but he thinks it's not fair that candidates have to comply with this little known law that they didn't know about and a lot of the boards of election didn't know about where political applicants have to state on their declaration of candidacy any prior names they've used in the past five years. And if you've been listening to this podcast over the last couple of weeks, you know there's no information about there. There's no instructions. There's not even space on the form to write two names. And it's not in this 33-page candidate requirement guide issued by the Ohio Secretary of State's office. So he didn't have an idea where the fix could be. If they want to change the form, that has to go through legislation. But he agreed that it wasn't fair and that these individuals shouldn't be punished for not knowing about a law that no one else knew about either. And meanwhile, Montgomery County is not going to punish one candidate um, named Arnold because she didn't list her prior legal name on the campaign paperwork. 
I was disappointed at the number of times DeWine said, yeah, I haven't looked that closely at it, mm. or I don't know. We asked right. him the question about this, and he says it should be fixed. And I said, well, all right, hold on, though. Is it fixing it by putting a box on the form so that they know to put their names? Or because we exempt heterosexual people who get married from having to put their past names on there, should they be exempt? And he, I, I haven't looked at it. I haven't looked at it that closely. We asked him about the, the constitutional amendment for um, for gerrymandering. And he's, you know, well, I know the system doesn't work now, but I haven't looked that closely at it. I will, I will, but we got that a lot. I mean, this is, this is a serious crisis issue right now. A candidate mm-hmm. has been blocked from the ballot, at least one, and it's wrong because there was no way that candidate could have known they needed to list past names. So yeah, step up. Which, what's the fix? Is it a form change? Then talk to the legislature. Get it fixed. But you're the governor. You should be looking at this more closely and have a full answer when you're asked the question. I mean, I feel like it's not his priority, right? I'm, but you're right. He did say a lot of times, I don't know about that. I haven't read that. I don't have an opinion on that. And it felt like he had an opinion on the things he wanted to press like he's very against Delta 8 and Delta 9 products being sold in convenience stores, uh, which are THC. And he talked a lot about that. He was passionate about it. But he that was his platform that he wanted to talk about. And he, he didn't really want to talk about a lot of other things that people brought up. It, it, and, you know, he's a, he's a politician. He's been doing this for decades. He knows how to do the dodge and answer the questions he wants to answer. I asked him about child care. I mean, he said he wants more money in child care, but he doesn't have any idea of how to do it or any any thoughts about any other states with their programs. Yeah, I, although he did point out the legislature, it, 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 there is a problem with the legislature providing yeah. the money for it. I thought he was a little more specific with that than the other things. And because people were asking me yesterday, we asked him if he was going to make an endorsement in the presidential election. His answer was not today. We asked him <laughs> if he was going to make an endorsement in the Senate Republican primary. His answer was not today. Uh, but I, at least I, I was glad to hear him stand up for the righteousness of this. People shouldn't be blocked for the ballot for unfair reasons. And both Secretary of State Frank LaRose and Senate President Matt Huffman are trying to blame others for this Mm -hmm. when it's directly in their court. He's the Secretary of State. He's the guy who's supposed to keep elections fair. And the Senate president, if he sees a deficiency in the law, fix the law. That's why you're there. We did a story showing that they passed the fewest laws in history last year. Here's an easy one. Change the form. But you know they're not out for the people. They're not out for fair elections. They're out to keep their party in power. That I mean, they basically said that. Yeah, I know. That's the sad thing. That's why we got to get rid of gerrymandering come November. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, how is Congress trying to help the people in East Palestine and parents who need help with child care in kind of the same deal? Yeah, this is a deal struck between the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee in Washington. So this thing for East Palestine is part of a larger bill that increases the child tax credit over the next several years. The East Palestine provision says that residents will not have to pay taxes on disaster relief money that they receive from Norfolk Southern for that train wreck in their city. Uh, This is according to a statement from Senator Sherrod Brown, who fought for this provision. So the child tax credit, the maximum refundable amount is going to go from $1,600 a year in the current tax year to $1,800 for the 2023 tax year, which would be 
now, I guess, 1900 for 2024 and $2,000 a year by 2025 with possible adjustments for inflation along the way. They say this will help an estimated 15 million low-income kids. This also expands the low-income housing tax credit to build 200,000 affordable units and that tax credit goes from 9% to 12.5%. They're hoping that Congress signs off on this before the tax filing season begins at the end of this month. Yeah, it's uh, we've been talking about that child tax credit for a long time because it's such a, a boon to people. And, and the fact that people are not going to get it has been a bit of a crisis. So it's good to see they're doing it. Just odd that you would pair that with the train wreck legislation, which is a completely different story. Well, and it's interesting. I wonder if this is unprecedented. I I, I couldn't find anything that was comparable that, you know, that they aren't taxed on money that they receive for disaster relief. So it seems unprecedented to me. Yeah, it's a strange one. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I don't think this next one's a mystery, but it's interesting. Why do so many Cleveland residents say they avoid the city's parks and recreation centers? Courtney, this was your story. Yeah, and kind of like you said, not not too surprising here, but putting numbers to it, I, I thought was interesting. So the city is doing its master planning process for parks and recreation. This is supposed to yield a 15-year roadmap and issue recommendations like design guidelines for playgrounds, funding strategies to take care of parks, and a whole host of just like process changes. But as part of this master planning process, they went out into the community to see why Clevelanders, basically what barriers stand in the way of Clevelanders that, that kind of stop them from visiting parks and recreation centers more often. And the top response by far, according to this this city report, at 50% of of respondents saying it was a problem is is poor maintenance. Now, you drive around to the city's parks and and you get a sense. You kind of know what's going on there. They don't they don't look shiny and new, right? And and that that's really coming through. Clevelanders see that they want better from their parks. I also found it interesting some of the other top reasons why people avoid city parks and rec centers. You know, 40% of these respondents, it was a group of more than 500 people surveyed, and 40% of respondents said they don't know where to go or what programs and activities are offered, which that's a complaint I've heard, the programs that are available, like words not getting out about that. And then 38% said parks and rec centers offer a poor or uncomfortable atmosphere. So this kind of gives Mayor Justin Bibbs' administration a roadmap of problems it wants to tackle in the coming years. Well, it's quality of life issues. Out in the suburbs, a lot of suburbs have these beautiful rec centers and pools and all sorts of things, and Cleveland does not. Their their facilities are in poor condition. I think Cleveland's been a little bit cursed by the fact that Metro Parks took over the waterfront parks because those are beautiful. People love them, and it offers you a comparison to the city parks. Laura and I were talking yesterday about the the divide here. Metro Parks put you know just runs pristine facilities. The parks are beautiful. They maintain them. Everybody loves going to them. And then you go into a city park. We did pictures. What was it a year ago? Yeah. Showing mm-hmm. just the splintered benches and the broken playground equipment. And the shame of it is the city got a ton of ARPA money to that they could have used to, to give people in Cleveland the same experience people get in the suburbs, but they didn't really dedicate it to that. Yeah, there was a little bit of ARPA set aside for infrastructure, but really what we've seen, we're at the beginning stages here, but we see Bibb's plan to finan- 
to finance a big, you know, revitalization of downtown Cleveland. He plans to use tax increment financing to get that done if city council signs off. And and and, and some of the proceeds of, of that money, aside from the downtown infrastructure needs, Bib wants to use some of those proceeds to do capital repairs in the neighborhoods at neighborhood parks and recreation centers. So we do have the outlines of a funding plan to kind of juice up investments in, in parks and rec centers. But, you know, that's only half of the maintenance question, right? You, you, you Getting the good equipment in and getting updated equipment in is one thing, but then paying workers to maintain that equipment on the other end what's in, when it's installed that's the other half of the maintenance question. And so I was kind of curious about that. This infrastructure money could really help with the physical aspects of our parts, right? But the maintenance itself, I wanted to know from City Hall, like, do they have a plan to maybe ramp up maintenance in response to these survey results? And basically, Bib spokeswoman told me it was too early to tell. They have to see what funding strategies are recommended in, in this master planning process before they really know how they're going to amp up maintenance if if they are. It's a culture. I mean, if you go into the metro parks, you always see signs of recent maintenance. A tree falls across a path. They cut that tree right away. People can use the path. You don't see anything that's run down because I think the maintenance staff and the parks officials, as soon as they see a problem, they get on it. They fix it. You don't have that same sense in Cleveland. You've got, you've got equipment that's been broken forever, and there's just not this feeling like, we got to fix this immediately. The residents deserve better. Think about the message it sends. If your kid going to a playground and the stuff's busted and rusty and the benches are missing boards, you, if you don't fix that quickly, then it, it gets the image that it has. And so I'm not at all surprised. People don't want to go there. At least they can go to the metro parks. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Elyria police are on the hot seat this week from what appears to be a horribly botched raid that put a toddler into intensive care. Laura, what went wrong here? This is so bizarre. We just got the footage last night. There's like 26 minutes of body cam footage that Elyria police released, and it shows this raid. And it was on a house. It was a the niece of the the home, I'm not sure if it was an, it's rented, but the person who lived there, her niece was staying there. And then the niece's son, who's 17 months old, he was born premature. He has health conditions and he was actually there to get treatment at university hospitals. And he was in the house when the police came and raided. They had a warrant. It was for this address. It, the people who live there say he hasn't lived there in a year and they've tried numerous times to come here before. But if you look at the body cam footage, it's, it's swarms of officers and you can see these flashbangs that they throw outside and it, and it makes a noise and it sparks. Um, it went off outside. And then you see this woman being cuffed on the sidewalk and she's very calm and she's trying to tell them, my baby is inside. I don't live here. My aunt lives here. You know, nobody that you're looking for lives here. And they eventually let her go inside after a few minutes. The baby is in a crib in the living room area. You can't see smoke or anything dense. It doesn't look like it's a smoky, infested, chemical-laden room. But again, I'm just looking on the, the body cam. But what the family says is this baby was in here. He had all these breathing problems because of the flashbangs, because of the raid. And even if there wasn't smoke, you think that's very stressful on a kid whose mom is outside, you know, 
and, and you can hear the labored breathing. They did have EMS come in. The cops were pretty calm. They, they talked to her about the issues. But regardless, this baby ended up in ICU and this family did nothing wrong. This is a police department that's out of control. They didn't need that many officers to do this raid. It's almost like they're a bunch of cowboys. Oh, we're going on a raid. Hey, everybody, come on. To have that many cops going in, it's like they're they're raiding a mob hangout or something, a, a biker gang. And it's not. It's a residential house out of control. This is a sign of a police department that doesn't have command that's keeping people in control. The commander on the scene should have been much more attuned to that mom. Everything about this is a nightmare. And I hope the people who run the government in Illyria take a hard look at whether their police department needs to be just reprogrammed to be about community service and not cowboy antics. And this is almost like the cops were in East Cleveland. Yeah, the the woman who rents the apartment, and it is, sorry, I checked my notes, it is an apartment in a home. Like, it's not in a high-rise building or anything. They go in the front door. She says she wants to leave because she doesn't feel safe in Illyria anymore. And she wasn't even home during this. But, I mean, it's her family that were taken out and this baby ended up in the hospital. I can understand, especially if you said, we've told you before, the person doesn't live here. I'm a law-abiding citizen. There's I've done nothing wrong, and you keep coming into my home it where is the disconnect why didn't they realize like why did they send in dozens of cops to this home that they should have known the suspect didn't live there anymore well, and they were looking for a gun or something i mean it, it's just completely out of control and she said the cops keep coming here and we keep telling them that the person they want isn't here mm-hmm. at one point you know you got to look at the prosecutor and the judge involved in this warrant where is the guardrail where is somebody to say Hey, is this a little bit over the top? We've been here before. What's going on mm-hmm. instead of the rubber stamp that seems to be going on? It, it's just a mess and it's getting national attention as it should. A horrible black eye for Illyria because they don't keep their police under control. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I saw an interesting headline on this one on Reddit called Porn Snub. Ohio lawmakers have declared war on porn sites accessible to children. Lisa, what would a bipartisan bill do to control them? Yeah, this is Senate Bill 212. It requires pornographic internet platforms to verify the age of all users via an independent third-party company. Anyone under 18 would be denied access to these sites, and the personal information that they gather for verification is not allowed to be retained by that company. So the sponsors of this bill um, are, you know, both from Columbus, uh, Stephanie Coons, the Republican, and Bill DeMora, the Democrat. Coons says that 54% of children have seen online porn by the age of 13. 15% have seen it age 10 and younger. And she said, let that sink in a minute. That's a fourth and a fifth grader. Uh, Senator DeMora says that these are multi-billion dollar companies. They can certainly afford security. Senate Bill 212 will not apply to social media platforms, search engines, or news gathering websites. ALO, which is the parent company of Pornhub, probably the most popular porn site, issued a statement. They said, hey, we've supported age verification for years. Uh, They want it on device since the technology currently exists to do that. Um, In Louisiana, there was a case, uh, Louisiana has a similar law, and they said that Pornhub was one of the few to comply with that new Louisiana law. Their traffic dropped 80%, but they said that didn't stop people looking for porn. They just went to the dark corners of the internet to find it. 
if this is a legitimate effort to keep porn out of the hands of children, then, okay, that's a good idea. There are studies that show that kids are getting a very warped sense of relationships from watching porn. It's just this legislature is so ridiculous in its its kind of baiting and its and its dogma. You wonder if this is really some arch right thing to stop people from seeing porn because they don't like it. You know, it's all of the the LGBTQ stuff they've done. It, I mean, do you really trust this legislature when they say they're doing it for legitimate reasons or are they trying to be puritanical and enforce their mores on Ohio by reducing the availability of porn? Yeah, it, it's interesting. And of course, I think, you know, internet porn is like a scourge. I mean, it's just made everything worse in the last several decades. Um, but I, I I don't know. People are always going to search it out. And I've had social media like friend requests from people like Thai women with topless, you know, profile pictures. So it's not like, you know, they're not finding it through other platforms, I guess. No. And look, it it is so you're right. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So how can kids avoid it? I It would be very difficult to be raising children in this age and keep them from seeing it if they have any kind of devices. And how you control that is what's difficult. I was thinking about this yesterday. We'll be talking tomorrow about a story about the increase in uh, gambling problems in Ohio since betting began. But all, all the vices that were not allowed when I was growing up, they're all here. You know, you got, you got gambling, you got marijuana, you got uh, the porn everywhere. And it's just amazing how much that's evolved from, you remember growing up in the 60s and 70s, man, there was none of this and how much society has changed. Mm-hmm. I sound like the guy in the rock and show in the ports. Let's move on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. When Ohio governments were awarded all of that American Rescue Plan money, this was not what Congress had in mind. How is County Councilman Marty Sweeney in Cuyahoga County proposing to spend a chunk? And Courtney, who benefits? This might be one of my favorite recent stories um, in a bad way. Just wow. So like you said, Marty Sweeney, county councilman, has introduced legislation and it's already passed one committee to use $25,000 NARPA funds on license plate readers and surveillance cameras for the Edgewater Homeowners Association, those big grand homes on the on the west side of Cleveland, Long Clifton. Now, the president of the HOA is Galen Sherline, and she told us there's been crime around the neighborhood and and she didn't know if it was up overall or if just more people are tuned into it. But she said this expense would benefit that group of, of 400 residents and surrounding areas by basically getting more eyes on the street. She said the camera footage could be shared with law enforcement. But of course, this raises all kinds of questions about why a homeowners association in a nice part of Cleveland needs government handouts for security cameras. Uh, you know, there's far more crime elsewhere in the city, right? And so Lucas DiPrilli kind of started getting into this, but but here's the kicker. Sherline is the president of the Homeowners Association over there and made this request ostensibly. Ro- Chris Ronane, the county executive, is her next door neighbor, and he's part of this Homeowners Association. Mm-hmm. So this money would directly benefit you know, the county executive. So we, we had to reach out to him and, and see what he thought about all of this. And he told us that, you know, he, he's not going to sign this legislation if council passes it. 
Yeah, I, I don't think Ronane and Sherline are the best of friends. Just just don't I, I believe that's the case. But this is ridiculous. I mean, Sherline was part of the Jane Campbell administration when she was Cleveland mayor. I can't believe that she's a part of this. This is wrong in every way you can say wrong. We have Cleveland neighborhoods that are beset by gun violence, beset by car thefts, beset by fear. They don't get this. They're not getting this kind of treatment. But in the hoity-toity neighborhood where Galen Sherline lives, they're going to get Marty Sweeney's cash. This is everything wrong with the slush funds that the county council created. This should be stopped in its tracks. It's a terrible idea. It's discriminatory when it comes to other neighborhoods. And this is not what the American Rescue Plan's for. It's just not. I can't believe they applied for it. I can't believe Marty Sweeney is providing it. Everything about this stinks. It's a joke. And 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 I think you point out something here. We know Marty Sweeney. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this request, but we know Marty Sweeney is a political player in this town and and knows what he's doing in that category. We know Galen Sherline. She used to be at the city. She used to be at the county prosecutor's office and I believe she was at Red Soul and Andrews for a long time. So she's a political player. Ronane saying he's not going to sign it. What is the political intrigue here? Because something th- this is too wild. Oh, you know, come on. It it embarrasses Ronane. I mean, Ronane doesn't want this. This isn't the way he operates. He doesn't want special money spent on his neighborhood. It makes him look terrible. So I'm not surprised at all. He didn't speak. He said right away, I got a conflict, so I can't participate in the discussion, but I'm not signing this. You know, is Marty Sweeney trying to embarrass Chris Ronane? So if somebody runs against him, they could say, you know, Chris Ronane and the county government used ARPA money to give themselves neighborhood cameras while the rest of Cleveland burned. And this is terrible optics in every way. And it should just be stopped. The rest of the county council should speak up and say, hey, Marty, this is wrong. This is not what the money should be used for. But of course, it is a county council that used it to take care of the Parma Golf Club. So I guess there are no rules. I don't know. This one this one stinks more to me than a golf club decision. This is a wild, wild use of federal money. Yeah, it it's it's terrible and it should be stopped in its tracks. It's wrong. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We got one more. We're talking about the bitter cold this week, but over the weekend we saw an unusual weather phenomenon in northeast Ohio, northern Ohio at least, one that allowed us to see something we rarely get our eyes on. Laura, go ahead and pronounce what it is and explain it to us. It's a setch, which before I did Rock the Lake, uh, our offshoot of Cleveland.com, I had never heard of, but it's spelled S-E-I-C-H-E. And what it means is all the water from the eastern part, uh, sorry, the western part of Lake Erie, when the wind blows really hard, it blows it all to Buffalo. And so in the islands, you can actually see the lake bed because that much water is pushed uh eastward just because of the winds and and Lake Erie is the shallowest of the Great Lakes. So these photos were popping up on my Facebook page on Saturday from Putin Bay and they're incredible. There were like little islands that looked like flower pots. Rocks and caves were exposed. You could walk on the bottom of the lake and basically not get wet. And they're jaw dropping. It happens every so often, maybe not every winter, but every, you know, every couple of years this phenomenon happens and it's it's Related to why Buffalo ends up with so much of this lake effect snow when we didn't get very much with all these cold weather and winds, but it is really, nature is very cool. Although I imagine it would be dangerous to be wandering around in a exposed cave because the yes. water can come flying back once the wind stops. At right? any time. 
Right. It, it is not, I, I would not go in a cave, right? If you're going to do this and, and there were pictures of people doing it, stay where, <laughs> you know, you can get out when you see the water coming. Also, pay attention to the forecast, right? We had Megan Sims talk to the National Weather Service, and this was on Sunday, and the water was supposed to come back throughout the day and then by overnight Sunday. So yeah, this is not, this is not something to take lightly. It's, it's like when the ice crests on Lake Erie, you're not supposed to go out there and walk on it because you never know what's going to break and what could shift. And it's, it's not a safe thing necessarily, but it is really cool to see. I just am amazed it happened. I mean, I think about a bathtub and the force it would take to blow the water to one side. I'm surprised it happens. Fascinating story. You asked to talk about it today and we have. That's it for the Wednesday episode of Today in Ohio. Come back Thursday for another discussion of the news. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Courtney.